Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Golden Rule Revolution, where inspiration and purpose come from treating people like people and nothing less. I'm excited about today's episode. It was phenomenal interviewing Ruben Gonzalez, and I'll get to him in a minute. But today, I'm excited to share The Golden Rule Revolution has its very first sponsor, Vider Energy Mints. Now, these mints are caffeinated mints. They give you energy and fresh breath and an easy-to-carry convenient tin you can take with you anywhere you go. The mints are sugar-free, have a powerful flavor, and come in five different flavors, wintergreen, spearmint, peppermint, cinnamon, and chocolate mint. Each mint contains 40 milligrams of caffeine, which is half the amount of caffeine in a cup of coffee. So two mints equal one cup of coffee. The mints also contain B vitamins. It's energy and fresh breath in a mint. Go to goviter.com. That's G-O-V-I-T-E-R.com right now to get your mints and use promo code Lucas at checkout to get 10% off your order. My favorite are the cinnamon and chocolate mints. I know you will like them to get that little boost. So there you go. Vider Energy Mints. Getting into today's episode, we hear from Ruben Gonzalez. He is a multiple, he is a multiple time Olympian and he is working towards being the oldest competing athlete in the Olympics in world history. This man's story is inspiring. It shows that we have nothing uh, but our own excuses in front of us if we truly want to set our mind to something and achieve it. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, Ruben, thank you so much for go- joining the Golden Rule Revolution. How are you this morning? Doing great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So you have an incredible story, a, a story of really making dreams come true. And uh, tell me, let's, let's start. Where did you grow up? And tell us your story from, from the origin. Well, I, I was born in Argentina. Uh, I was an oil brat. My dad was a chemical engineer with Exxon. And uh, we were all from Argentina. And then, uh, gosh, when I was six years old, uh, things got really bad, terrorism, all kinds of bad stuff going on. So he said, we got to get out of here. We moved to the States and uh, lived most of my life in Houston. Never could, never liked the heat. So we moved to Colorado about, t- about uh, eight years ago. And boy, this is heaven now. I love wow. it. Yeah, Houston has some humidity packed with that heat. That's pretty gnarly oh, down there. It's brutal. I mean, you, you go, go to your mailbox and pick up your mail and you come back, you smell like a wet dog. I mean, it's awful. <laughs> Um, so, so I was raised in, in Houston, basically. So being, um, having that experience of being in Argentina and then, and then going to Texas, um, what did you learn about people? Um, and then what did you learn about yourself at that young age? That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. Um, for one thing, I really like beef, you know, uh, Argentinian <laughs> and Texan, man, <laughs> barbecue heaven. Oh. But uh, people, you know, I've been to over 50 countries uh, over the years. Uh, between my uh, luge training and, uh, gosh, I've been speaking professionally since 2002 and traveled all over the world doing that. I've been to about 50 countries. And so what I've learned is that people are people. 
they, they're all the same. And even when you're speaking to a meeting planner or having a, a, a what do they call it, a conference call with the with, with the people that book you to speak, all of them think that their people are different. They want to tell you all about their people. But you know what? Everybody's got hopes and dreams and fears, and we're all the same. And so uh, I just try to find out, well, what, what's your goal? What's your struggle? And let's see if we can help your people move forward. So, mm. That's beautiful. Did I, you know, on your website, you were talking about how you were one of the last to be picked in PE and, and on teams and stuff at an early age. Cause you've definitely developed a, you can, you articulate well, you're passionate, you've overcome a lot of adversity. You um, are an Olympian. I mean, at what point did you take that feeling of rejection or feeling of like not good enough and then put it towards loving people and treating people like people? You know, my dad, when I was little, uh, when I was 10, I saw the Olympics. I caught the dream, but it was a pipe dream because uh, I, I got a lot of heart, but, but no body to go with it, right? So I was always <laughs> on the bench. It was so frustrating. And, and being Argentinian, I was a soccer fanatic, right? So I thought I was going to be in the World Cup. And so I played soccer all my life. I got good skills, but if you're a slowpoke, you're still on the bench. Mm. And so um, after a couple of years of talking the talk and not walking the walk, my dad encouraged me to read biographies. He said, if you'll study the lives of great people, you'll figure out what works and what doesn't work in life. Mm. Then he backed off and let the books work their magic. And uh, right away, I realized that perseverance was the common denominator, right? These were just mm. successful people or a bunch of hardheads, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have a goal, they put on the blinders, and they work like mad, right? And, um, and so, as a 12-year-old, I made a decision that changed my life. I, I said to myself, hey, if perseverance is a key. It's not a guarantee. There's no guarantees in life, but it's a key to reaching your dreams. Then from today on, Ruben doesn't quit anything. And, and it's just a mm. quality decision that I made. It changed my life. And fast forward a few years. Now I'm walking out of the, of the library in uh, high school. This kid walks up to me and goes, hey, uh, you know what your nickname needs to be? I said, no, what? He goes, Bulldog. I said, Bulldog, why? And he goes, because you, you're, you know, you're, you're persevering, you're tenacious, and that's just like Bulldogs. I didn't know that, right? So I turned around and went back to the library and got me a book about Bulldogs, right? I wanted to check it out. <laughs> I got to get my facts, okay? I'm very analytical. And it checked out. Bulldogs are bred to be tenacious. And so um, walked out of the library. First person I met, I said, hey, my name's Ruben. You can call me Bulldog, right? <laughs> I didn't even know I was doing this, but I'm creating uh, peer pressure. Because I have to live up to that name, right? I can't be a quitter. So um, fast forward a couple more years, I find out that Houston Baptist University had an NCAA Division I soccer team. And, I, and, and the other thing my dad said was, it's the books you read and the people you hang around with. You, mm. That's what, what's going to determine. Because it's what goes into your mind. You become like the people you hang out with. Yeah. And so he always encouraged me to find people that had already done what I wanted to do. And so... <clears throat> One thing that my dream team of people used to, used to tell me was, um, you know, uh, there's going to be a couple of times in your life where you're going to be really going for it, and and boom, you're going to hit, you know, you're going to you're going to hit a wall. And when that happens, you have to immediately tell yourself, man, there's always a way, there's always a way, there's always a way. And I found out that HBU had a soccer team. I tried out, made the team. First time I'm in a real team. I'm an overnight jock. That's <laughs> and, awesome. And, uh, but I was still on the bench. I mean, two weeks into the season, coach says, man, you're, you know, 
takes me to, to, to his office. Ryan closes the door and goes, sit down. <laughs> he goes, obviously, you had an incredible day. That day we're trying out because you're really not that good. You're holding us back. <laughs> and he laid the, the law. He said, new rule around here is you play when we're winning by two goals because you're a threat to our own team, right? He's a wow. real motivator. Wow. But I was, I was still so happy to be part of the team that I just, you know, I just realized, you know, obviously I got to become valuable again around here. So on my own, I started doing the marketing for the team, trying to get people to come in. And, and uh, I just became a cheerleader, basically. I shot pictures of the guys. And I got to play, but, you know, we had to be winning. And wow. so around that time, I'm 21 years old. I'm a, I mean, I'm a solid bench warmer. And the Olympics roll around again, the 84 Sarajevo Winter Olympics. And I'm watching it on TV, and I see Scott Hamilton, the figure skater. I see him win the gold medal. Right, 18-year-old kid, 110 pounds, soaking wet. He gave me hope. I thought to myself, man, if that little guy can win, I can at least play. I'm being the next one no matter what. It's a done deal. I just got to find a sport. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I wrote a book called uh, The Courage to Succeed. And the reason that I named it that is because I believe you got to have two types of courage to reach any goal. You gotta have the guts to get started, and everything's hard at the beginning because you got no, no, um, uh, no skills, right? And so you have to stick it out. You have to stay in the game long enough to, to learn some skills and then use those skills to reach the dream. Well, uh, the courage to, to not quit come, is the second one, right? So mm. you gotta get started and, you, and don't quit. Right. Courage to get started, that comes from believing it's possible. And curse to not quit comes from desire. You want something badly enough, ain't nothing going to make you quit. Well, if you think about it, when I was 10 years old and I saw the Olympics, I had the desire, but I didn't have the belief. Now that I see Scott Hamilton, I got them both. I'm ready to take action, baby. See? And so um, I went to the library. I'm a bookworm. I've got a big book about the Olympics. I'm looking at the list of the summer sports. It took me five minutes to realize, man, you got to be a super athlete to do any of this stuff. There's no way. And I started getting down. And then I started looking at the list of the winter sports and the uh, analytical side of my brain kicked in. And I thought, I'm about to put together a plan for the next four years. So it, it probably would make sense to base the plan on my strengths. My strength is not athleticism. My strength is perseverance. I'm bulldog. Mm -hmm. So I need to find a sport that's so tough. A sport's got so many broken bones in it, there'll be a lot of quitters. Only I won't quit, right? I'll, I'll ride the attrition rate all the way to the top. <laughs> So I really did that. If you think about it, it's really strategic, right? And so I had it down to ski jump, bobsled, and luge. Well, I lived in hot and humid Houston, Texas. I'd never skied before. Ski jump, that's out. That would have been suicide, right? <laughs> bobsled. I mean, who are you going to find three other nuts in Houston wanting to do the bobsled? I mean, <laughs> make up for that, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and that, that left the luge. I'd never seen the luge on TV. If I had, there's no way I would have done it. I just had a little picture of a guy in a luge. I thought that looks pretty tough. That's the one for me. I wrote Sports Illustrated. I asked him, where do you go learn how to luge? Because I didn't even know. I figured no one in Houston's going to know. And they actually wrote back. And they sent me this picture of a guy in a luge. Okay? I put that picture in a frame. I mean, the second I got it, and put it right in front of my bed, in my bedroom. And the first person I saw in the morning was the luge man. He reminded me, right? Hey, I'm going for the Olympics. Got to eat right. Got to hang around winners. I got to read good books, work out. And at night, before I shut off the lights, last person I saw was the luge man. So that's what I dreamt about all night. So it was like I was writing my goals down every day because I had them in front of me. Mm. And I went to Lake Placid. At first, they wouldn't take me. Uh, the guy said, you're too old, man. By now, you should have 10 years experience. There's no way. 
And I knew if I hung up the phone, it's all over, right? So hanging up the phone's not an option. And so I thought, man, I got I to keep this guy on the phone, phone somehow so I can think of something. And so I'm telling my life story, trying to create some rapport and become friends with him. And I happened to tell him that I was born in Argentina. And he gets all excited all of a sudden. He goes, if you'll go for Argentina, we'll help you. And I said, why? A minute ago, you were going to help me at all. He goes, well, the sport of lose is in danger of getting kicked out of the Olympics because we're not global enough. It's just Europe, U.S., and Canada. And so we're recruiting. Really? Wow. Well, tell, tell me more. If you'll go for Argentina, you'll travel with us. We'll train you. We'll even lend you a sled the first year. But we're going to have to cram 10 years of luge into two years. You're going to get hurt a lot, okay? But, but we need to do that because the last two years, you need to compete in the World Cup circuit against the best in the world in all these World Cup races because a month before the Olympics, they tally it all up, and whoever's in the top 50 gets to go, and 51 watches it on TV. Wow. So you go for Argentina, right? I told him, man, I'll go for anybody. I'll go for Pakistan. I don't care. <laughs> I just want to be in the Olympics. And so, so that's how it happened. But see how, um, you know, if you really go for it, right, you put yourself out there, opportunities appear. There's opportunities out there. And then when, when you come across an opportunity, if it lines up to where you want to go, you jump and the net will appear, okay? You just have to go. You don't wait till everything's right. I didn't tell that guy, well, let me think about it. That had been the end of it, right? Yeah. I said, I'll yeah. go, I'll go. And he still tried to talk me out afterwards, but I, but I went. And it was brutal. I broke a bunch of bones, but it was worth it. Well, I was going to ask, what was that first uh, luge run like for you? I still remember my first run. When we first went to, um, to Lake Placid, it was the springtime. It's only a couple of months after I saw Scott Hamilton. And so we're on, uh, we're on the track, but it's, it's, it's melted, okay? It's concrete, and we're going on wheels. And so that's how they teach you at first. A couple of weeks of wheel training so you can learn the basics of, 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 um, uh, of steering a loose. you got a whole lot more. Uh, I mean, you got great traction, but if you crash on that concrete, it's straight to the hospital, right? <laughs> but I still remember sitting on that sled and thinking, wow, man, this is, this is the first step. This is awesome. It's the beginning of the journey. We get to the bottom of the track. It put me in a group of 15 guys. By the end of the first year, they'd all quit. I mean, they, wow. they just didn't want it badly enough. And um, before I went to Lake Placid, since the guy told me, you're going to break some bones, I put on mental armor, right? I got ready. I knew I got ready for the fight, right? I mean, if you know, you know if you're in high school and some big bully, you know, tells you we're going to meet out here at 5 p.m., you get yourself ready, right? Or, or, or you move to Mexico or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I put on mental armor, and for me it meant a broken bone is a temporary inconvenience because in 40 days it'll be stronger than before. So I went in knowing that if I break a bone, I'm coming back. Mm. And so that got me ready. Um, but opportunities happen, and you just have to take advantage of them. You really do. Most people don't. Mm. So – you make it, you're the only person that makes it that first year. And then how'd you talk to the, how'd you talk to the people in Argentina, the country, like the heads of the country to get you to represent them? You're amazing, man. You, you ask all these great questions and nobody else asks. I love it. <laughs> it makes a lot more fun for me. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, Argentina, I'm 10,000 miles away. Okay. Yeah. And I could be the Michael Jordan of luge. I could be the best luge guy in the world. But unless Argentina has a luge federation, 
that belongs to the Argentine Olympic Committee and also belongs to the International Luge Federation, I can't race. It's just like, you know, uh, when you're in any sport, you know, when, you, when your kids sign up for any sport, you got to sign them up for the association. It's the governing body, right? Mm, and yeah. so I had to, I was pioneering the sport for Argentina and I got to sell them that in four years I'm going to be Olympic worthy. That was the biggest sales job in my life. Wow. And I didn't have any credibility. So I used the Olympic, you know, the U.S. Olympic Committee's uh, and coaches' credibility, right? Because they had a lot. And so I asked them, hey, you know, you need to help me out here, okay? We got two years until my first World Cup race, so we got to convince these guys. So let's write some progress reports. Let's write them letters. We've bombarded them with data. I mean, I have a three-ring binder of copies about that thick of all the letters we sent them. And eventually they just added luge to the Argentine Ski Federation, and they made it happen. But wow. those first two years, I broke my foot twice, my knee, my elbow, my hand, my thumb, couple of ribs. I mean, I was uh, – I was crashing and burning the whole time and praying that Argentina with their act together because otherwise I can't play, right? Wow. It was, that was totally out of my control. And so that was the scariest part. Let me uh, take you on a different path here. Did you watch the movie Cool Runnings when that came out? <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie, you know, because um, it takes me back because it's the Calgary Olympics and so it's them. Uh, their first Olympics and my first Olympics, Eddie the Eagle too. I mean, he was, that was he had wow. a bunch of crazies in that. And I'm friends. I'm good friends with one of the original guys. Wow. Uh, Kevin Harris. In fact, you ought to have him on your show. I'll hook you up if you like. Oh, that'd be awesome. I would love that. I would love um, that. First time I, I, I get to the Olympics <clears throat> and, and just like in the movie, uh, they're getting bullied by the Germans and by the, uh, you know, all these, the Austrians, the Swiss, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they hadn't been they hadn't been sliding very long. They really hadn't paid the price in in the Germans' eyes, right? So they're giving them a hard time. Why don't you go back to the beach and go play with your inflatable toys, right? Right. right. Man. And and after I saw it a couple of times, I was shocked because it was very unolympic behavior to mm. do that. And because the Olympics are all about, hey, you know, we're all going to come together. We're going to do our right. best and compete, you know, and right. create memories and uh, you know and, and have a blast. And here, these guys are just being jerks. And after I saw it a couple of times, I went up to one of them and um, I asked him, man, what does it feel like? I mean, these guys are laughing at your face. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, uh, uh, you know, uh, we're winners. We intend to get the last laugh. I thought, whoa, these guys are tough, right? Wow. And uh, it must have been Yul Brynner that I was talking to. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> so, or, or Junior. It wasn't yeah, Junior. junior. Sure. Right, right. <laughs> But, but anyways, um, so so four years later, we're at the Albertville Olympics in France, and they got four years' experience. And, and these guys were great athletes to begin with. They just didn't have uh, – they'd only been sliding for a little bit. They didn't even know it's, Believe it or not, it's, it's almost impossible to get in that little sled, even for a little guy. Right. Uh, and, and then pushing it, I mean, they didn't have the, the sled technique. Four years later, they're pretty good. Then by the uh, Salt Lake City Olympics, gosh, they're solid, okay? I mean, they actually beat one of the U.S. sleds. I mean, they, um, they got a Disney movie. They're laughing all the way to the bank. Wow. So, oh, but what I learned from them is that initially, you know, when you tell average people, you know, about your goals and dreams, uh, they're going to go through three stages. First, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to watch you. And then when you start making things happen, they'll admire you. But if you can't handle the laughter, you'll never get the admiration. Yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So on a luge, I mean, is it – it seems like just the slightest – I mean, you're moving just 
the slightest movement, right? And you can Absolutely. move that thing. Yeah. Tell, tell, explain what that feels like and what that process is like. Well, when I first went on wheels, you got traction. Then that next winter, we're on the ice. Then mm-hmm. most tracks have 15 to 16 curves. So they put you on curve 10. You're going about 20 miles an hour. And it's like crash, 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 crash. Then you finally figure it out. Coach moves you up a couple of curves. Now you're going 30. Oh, my gosh, 30 miles an hour. There's no time to think. Crash, crash, crash. Figure it out. You literally crash your way to the top, okay? It takes wow. about 100 runs if you're pretty good to make it to the top. And, and, but that just means you can get down. I mean, it doesn't mean you're fast. Everything counts. It's the only sport, it's the only Olympic sport that's timed to the one one thousandth of a second. Even the 100-meter dash is not. And – and uh, believe it or not, it makes a difference. Um, everything you do, everything you do makes a difference. I mean, um, and it's very counterintuitive. For example, you need to have your center of gravity on, this, on the sled needs to be near the back. And so you just, that means you just have to lay flat on the sled, okay? Well, and you're peeking over your chest to see, you know, to see where you're going. I do, right? The top, top guys, they just use peripheral vision and they know where they are. And blindly, they, they drive better lines than I can with a periscope. It's crazy. Wow. Uh, there's always another level. No matter how good you are, there's always somebody that's better. Wow. And, and so imagine you hit a wall. Pow. Well, what do you want to do? You want to look. As soon as you do, your shoulders come off the sled. Center of gravity moves forward. Bam, 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 bam. It becomes a, a ping pong. You're breathing. If I, it, if I hold my breath the whole way down, which is really easy to do if you're scared half to death, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you're automatically a half a second slower because you're more tense. And if you're tense, then uh, your reaction time is going to be slower, right? And you're not going to be as smooth and you're not going to be gliding. Um, so wow. you just exhale at the entrance and exit of every curve to help you relax, right? Mm. Um, everything, everything counts. The steels, the runners are about four feet long, but they're arched, okay? It's like the bottom of a rocking chair. So there's only about four inches that are touching. And you're laying on a skate, basically, and, and you feel like you're laying on a skate going 90 miles an hour. Well, at the beginning of the season, you have sharp steels. Now, sharp steels are, uh, they're about as sharp. Do you have a Mac? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, I've yeah. got my Mac here. I'm running my finger across the, the, the edge of the bottom. That's a, that's a sharp steel. In, got it. In, got okay? it. That, that'll give you good traction. So at the beginning of the season, we have sharp steels. But we round them every day a little bit more, a little bit more. We're trading traction for speed, okay? Because the rounder they are, the, the, the less it's touching the ice. And you keep going until you start crashing and you back it off a bit. <laughs> wow. Dude. So everything, everything. And I just told them, I can tell you 10 more things. But, but your breathing is huge. And it's, oh, here, here's a great one. I went back last season after a seven-year break. I'm trying to make the Beijing Olympics. Uh, I'm trying to become the oldest person to ever compete in the Winter Olympics in any sport, okay? The current record is a, a 59-year-old Swedish curler from the 1924 Olympics. It's almost wow. a 100-year-old record. And so, so I go back after a seven-year break. I've taken set three seven-year breaks in my – I'm the Brett Favre of luge, okay? Just, <laughs> <laughs> and so I go back to Calgary, and I'm training, right, just mainly to see if my, my neck can handle six Gs, right? And it turns out I'm, I'm mentally tougher. I'm, str- I'm better than ever, right? Except my starts, I'm, my starts are lousy because they say, man, you, you need to do yoga. You need to stretch out. You can't even get your body down to, to paddle. You're losing time just in the paddling. But, but you're, you're, you're driving is really good. You're actually listening to us now. And so getting a new, had to get a new helmet. 
and 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 uh, when the helmet comes with the visor, right? The visor goes over your face. Well, you have to trim it. And so we're laying down with this uh, with the coach. I lay down on the sled. He no no let's sit back up, trims a little bit more. We're trying to get it just right. And then he, okay, I think we got it now. All right, so sit on the sled like you're at the start. Okay, fine. Now, lay down on the sled. And I lay down and I grab the handles, right? And I grab them like this, like I always have. See, the, the, the handle's just a piece of rebar that, that, that's attached to the sled. And you're holding on to it. And you're holding on for dear life. <laughs> but he says, that's not how you hold the handles. Now, I've been sliding for over 30 years. He's the first coach to tell me this. I was so pissed. He goes, that's not how you hold the handles. I goes, what do you mean? I've held them like this all the whole time. He goes, no, you hold them like a pistol with these two fingers. That's it. Why? Because you can't make strength with just these two fingers, and so your hand's going to be looser, and you're gonna, it'll help you relax. If wow. you're holding like this, you clench your fist, it just, it just tightens you everywhere. I goes, okay, great. Okay, sit down on the sled. He goes, I'll sit down again. He goes, okay, lay down. Now lay down. And it's muscle memory, right? I did what I'm used to doing. He goes, no, get off the sled. He grabs a grinder and cuts my handles in half, right? Wow. Holy fits two fingers. Goes, what are you doing to my sled? He goes, I'm making you faster. Shut up. Wow. <laughs> this, just doing this instead of this, that's making a huge difference in my sliding. Isn't wow. that crazy? Wow. <laughs> it's almost, uh, I mean, it, it's apropos to life as well. I mean, it doesn't take just the slightest variation in our life, just a little, you know, breathe, just breathing. I was with a buddy who studies with uh, Wim Hof, the Iceman yeah. uh, this weekend, and we we're going through breath techniques and all these different breathing. And, and I realized that I had never held my breath intentionally, like without having to relax. I would always have a tense jaw. And yeah. so I hold my breath. My jaw was so tense. He's like, relax. And I was like, Oh, weird. I didn't even know what it felt like to hold my breath with a relaxed rod oh. and just slightly. And I'm like, how, how many times have I done that in a life? Like tensed up and I wasn't even aware of my tenseness, but yeah, there's so oh, much yeah. too. just the slightest things in life make such a big difference. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, when you're on a sales call, your breathing makes a huge difference, right? Mm. It, it, when you're, when you ask, when you're asking them, you know, Hey, are you interested? If you hold your breath, they can feel the tension even on the phone. But if you keep breathing and you exhale, it's, it's, you're loose, you're relaxed. You don't care if they answer one way or the other because somebody else is going to buy it. You can That's capture so that. Good. It's fascinating. Man. I'm, so, I'm, I'm so happy you're on. Tell, let's, let's talk about what are all the things you're doing. I mean, you're trying to be the oldest uh, competing Olympian. You are an author. You're a public speaker. You, uh, tell us all the things that you're currently doing. My whole life's a God thing, man. I tell mm. you. <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, lousy athlete, four-time Olympian, okay? <laughs> That's part one. Part yeah. one. I was a copier salesman in Houston. I mean, when you see the picture of downtown Houston, that was my area. Yeah. I've knocked on every door of every floor of every building in downtown many times, okay? Mm. We sold copiers and shredders. The only building you could never get in was Enron, okay? And we always wonder, what the heck's going on in there? It looks like a badge of courage, right? I mean, we would wow. go in there and they'd walk us out. We thought, if we can sell one in Enron, that proves I'm the best copier salesman in the world, right? That's hilarious. We found out what was going on in there. I thought, oh my gosh, I could have sold them a million bucks worth of paper shredders, right? Wow. But, <laughs> but um, Someone had that account on lockdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Um, Right before the Salt Lake City Olympics, 2002, right before I head out, 
this little kid in my neighborhood, he goes, hey, Ruben, when you come back from the Olympics, will you be my show and tell project in school? Hmm. And I thought, sure, why not? And I pictured 20 kids in a classroom. Where everybody's going to show something off. I'll be in there in five minutes. So I, but I'm going to win show and tell, right? I'm finally going to get my gold medal. At some, I was so pumped up. I took the sled, the helmet, the Olympic torch. Because I was a torchbearer. No prisoners. Principal takes me to the auditorium. It's actually the cafeteria. They call it the auditorium. <laughs> cafeteria. 200 kids sitting on the floor. He says, you got 45 minutes. Have at them. They wow. turn it into an assembly who didn't tell me. And I wow. thought die okay believe it or not i'm a shy guy i'm as introverted as they come i just get excited when i'm talking about personal development or olympics i yeah. just like car can't turn into superman for a few minutes <laughs> That's it, yeah i mean seriously it's not uh, I, I promise you i'm the worst networker in the world because i won't introduce myself to anybody it's wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so and, and so that leads to a tangent here okay low self-esteem Always had low self-esteem all my life, and that was the driving force to make me go to the Olympics. Mm. I needed to prove to myself that I was okay. And mm. it was so low that it wasn't until three-time Olympian that I started, okay, becoming, feeling okay in my own skin. I mean, is that wow. thick or what, right? Even at church, where, I, you know, everybody knows me, right? Mm. Even at church. I'm a wallflower there. Unless somebody walks up to me first, I, I will not start. I don't know. It's just me, right? Tom Wired. Yeah. But I tell my story to the kids. The principal afterwards, he says, man, you got a gift. You need to do this for a living. And I said, what, you get paid for show and tell? He goes, no, man, it's a speaking profession. Don't you know what I mean? I didn't. <laughs> and, uh, but he was so in my face. And I, for three days, I thought, man, that was fun. Uh, I was being myself out there. I'm just telling my story. Maybe I can, you know, really inspire some people to really go for it in life. So I quit my job three days later. We got a one-year-old daughter. My wife's a full-time mom. And overnight, I, yeah, I figured, hey, I'm going to start a business. And she wanted to kill me, right? I mean, wow. no health insurance and yeah. no, no income and $50,000 in credit card debt from the Olympics. And I decided to quit my job, right? But I figured if I can sell a copier, I can sell a Rubin too. And I just started hitting the phones, calling all the schools in Houston. Wow. First year and a half, I was speaking in schools. February, I'm at the Olympics. March, April, May, I'm living the dream. I got my own business. I'm actually making decent money. I forgot that the summer's going to be dead, right? Schooled out. And uh, uh, by the end of the summer, we're three months behind, behind our house payment, shot our credit, food stamps, okay? Top of the world in February and bottom, I mean, as low as you can be. Wow. And, and that's when I realized, man, I tell everybody to find a coach or a mentor, find somebody that's already done what you want to do and just mm. follow their footsteps, right? And I'm not even taking my own advice. Mm. So I, I thought, I'm good on stage, but I don't know how to build this business. I need, I need some help. So I found a guy, Jim Jacobus. He, he, at the time, he'd been a professional speaker for 12 years, and he lived in a mansion. I thought, man, he's got the goods, right? You got to yeah. find somebody with, with fruit on the trees, not a theorist. And <laughs> to find a, oh, yeah. It's better to find a, somebody that didn't even graduate from high school but actually did it than a PhD that knows all the theory but never took a step. That's right. That's good. So, so I, he agreed to, to meet with me. He says, meet once a month. You take me out to lunch. You got me for 60 minutes. If you're smart, you're going to bring a pad with questions so you don't waste any time. At the, I'll, I'll tell you anything you want. At the end, I'm going to give you some homework. If we ever meet and you haven't done last month's homework, it's over. because I, you know, I don't want wannabes. I want action people. I said, fine, but <laughs> sounds good, but I can't buy you lunch. I'm on food stamps. Here's the deal. We'll go to Starbucks, okay? You can have anything in the menu as long as it's coffee of the day. You can put as much sugar and cream and sugar in it as you want. <laughs> <But> that's <laughs> all I'm paying. <laughs> that's good. 
first time we meet, he goes, I don't care if you're a 10-time Olympian, unless you write a book, no one's going to take you seriously. An author is considered the authority of the subject. He wrote the book on it. I told him, I made C's in English, man. My parents celebrated if I brought a C. I mean, I can't write a book. He said, you got a good story. You got a great story. You write it down. We give it to some A students. They clean it up for you. That's just grammar. Yeah. I thought, oh, my gosh. I didn't think about that. He goes, yeah, it's called editing. So shut up and sit down. And so that was the first succeed, right? Wow. It's, see, the reason you follow a mentor is that all these doubts and all these fears and all these things that, that you think, all these things that look like Mount Everest to you, they've been through it and they know the way. It's a piece of mm. cake for them. So you just follow them. I'm not, I'm not great, okay? I'm just really great. I'm a really good soldier. I'm really good at finding the general and I know which general to find and, and follow them. And mm. I do it. That's it. So that, that book's been translated to over 10 languages. It's wow. a real bestseller, okay? It's not one of these fake Amazon-based bestsellers. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we sold hundreds of thousands, okay? Yeah. I'm on book number five now. I'm actually, I just finished book number five. Uh, my, my, my son and I are working on number six. Wow. And so now that we know the process, it's a piece of cake. And so lousy athlete, four-time Olympian. Shy guy makes it. I've spoken for a hundred, over a hundred of the Fortune 500 companies, big wow. arenas. Shared the stage with Zig Ziglar, uh, you know, twenty-five Amazing. times in Amazing. huge arenas. Right? Amazing. And I'm a shy guy, and I made season in English and a best-selling author. So heck, if I don't give people hope, man, they're hopeless. Mm. <laughs> they're in big trouble. <laughs> Brother, you have such um, yeah, hope. Hope is such a. Solomon wrote, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And what you give is you give people hope, man. And um, that's it. That's all I do. It's powerful. It's beautiful. If I don't won the gold medal, I wouldn't be helping anybody because people will walk out of my talk thing. You know, and sometimes you get this. I'm speaking for, let's say it's, uh, I don't know, Exxon or something or, or Xerox or some big company. Their annual uh, sales kickoff. And all the VPs are sitting, you know, smack in the center. And they're all worried because I was so lousy. Sometimes they're all, they all get quiet, you know, they start talking, whispering to each other right in front of me. And they say, I don't know what you guys are saying. You think I'm going to bomb. Hey, I'm Clark Kent. I'll turn into Superman for a few minutes. And you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then I get on top and, I, and I'll look right at those guys. I'll tell them, you know what? If you guys had brought Tiger Woods or Michael, uh, you know, uh, Michael Jordan or, or somebody like that, teach your people what it takes to succeed, they would have told them the same exact stuff because these, these principles have been around forever, okay? Mm. But when they left, people would have thought, well, that'll work for Michael, that'll work for, you know, for, for um, Tiger, but that won't work for me. But when I'm done with your people, they're going to walk out thinking, man, if that guy can go to the Olympics, even one time, he can do anything, right? And I'm a lot cheaper, so you're getting some value here. And they, look and they burst out laughing because they realized that's so true. That is such a great, that's great, man. <laughs> I um, I'm so honored to have you on. Where can people find you? How can people connect with you? Easiest way, just go to. I named it after that picture that I put on the wall, the Luge Man, the Luge Man. So, um, I, I will put your. <laughs> I will put that in the show notes. I want uh, guys. The, if everyone listening, Ruben has amazing videos on his website. Just great stories. Um, and I'm excited to follow your journey and. <laughs> Keep shining bright, brother. Keep hey, shining hey. bright. You're a bright light, and um, I'm honored to have you on this show. 
Thanks. Keep doing what you're doing. You're you you about the best interviewer I've had yet. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, you know, thank you uh, to the Argentinian uh, Olympic Committee for bringing you on board. What a cool, what a prayer works, maybe. Prayer works. That's right. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. And I uh, look forward to connecting down the road. Thanks, man. Take care. As always, thank you so much for joining the Golden Rule Revolution, listening to this podcast. There are so many amazing things happening. I just released my TEDx talk that went yesterday, live yesterday. Uh, we we have men's retreats I'm hosting. A uh, book is in the works. Um, there are so many cool things and you help it be possible. You are a golden rule revolutionary if you're listening to this podcast. You're a revolutionary to treat people like people and nothing less. We get to be the change we want to see in the world. As Mahatma Gandhi said, we get to take pure accountability and responsibility in our life to stop perpetuating the pain that has been passed down to us through generations and say, no longer will I act in any way as a victim but I will stand in the power of love and vulnerability for others. This is how society heals, and this is how society changes. As always, thank you for listening. My name is Lucas Mack. I'm your host, and as always, I look forward to speaking with you next week as we bring another episode of the Golden Rule Revolution to the world. (laughs) 